0: Conda Mason's Brown Rice Hour, a podcast that quilts together a fabric of connection between land, race, money, culture, and spirit. Discover a connection that engages with the most inspiring and cutting-edge thought leaders today, pointing toward our collective healing and liberation. If you are interested in supporting the Brown Rice Hour, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Conda.
1: All right, so I am back, and this is, uh, my name is Kanda Mason, and I am happy to be here on this podcast, and it's called the Brown Rice Hour, Um, having conversations at the intersection of land, race, money, culture, and spirit, and my guest today is Jakarta Imani, who is a dear friend and comrade here in the Bay Area. And I'm really happy that you're joining me, Jakarta. Thank you for saying yes. Yes.
0: Of course. Always. Always yes, to yes. Just for anything you ask me to do. That <laughs> <laughs> I ever say no.
1: Likewise. 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 So um, I like to... Um, Get started first with just like opening up a little bit of sacred space if we can do that. And um, and and in that, I just want to take a moment to honor, um, you know, those who came before us, our ancestors, who have. Um, yeah, if it weren't for them, we would not be here. All that they have survived, all that they had to survive to get us here, and um, I they sit on my shoulders on either side of me all the time, and I am fully aware of them. And and I just want to give give honor to all of our ancestors who have um, gone through great lengths for us to do the work that we do um, and infuse us with their energy and with their passion and with their love. And then I also want to just give thanks for the work that we do, um, honoring the work that you do uh, Jay, the work that um, is being done at this time on the planet to make the kind of transformations that need to be made, and and I want to also honor those who are coming behind us. Who may we leave a, a better place, a better planet for them, and um, and may we be there as their ancestors, cheering them on, cheering them on, and so. With that, I just want to um, give thanks for, for all beings everywhere.
0: I see.
1: Uh, sure, So that just allows us to have a little bit of energy around this conversation. <laughs> I um, I want to introduce you. You are um, such an icon in the bay area for sure and throughout the country and the work that you've been just leading and it's um it's it's um the most some of the most important work that needs to be done because you spend so much time with our youth and um allowing them giving them that kind of uh liber- liberation and freedom that they need to be who they are and um and getting obstacles out of the way and so um i'm going to read your bio here that Chikata imani is a spiritually rooted coach and trainer with 30 years experience working for racial social and economic justice he's the chair of the board of one life institute which serves at the intersection of spirituality and social action And over the last three decades, Jakarta has worked for organizations and or supported movements working on campaigning to close youth prisons, fight for workers' rights, tenant organizing, and green jobs. In 2013, he received a Changemaker Fellowship from Pacific School of Religion, where he served for two years, leading the Ignite Institute. It was a. It's a center for spiritual and social transformation. Currently, Reverend Jakata serves as the board president of Greenpeace USA. So, with that, I want to welcome you and all that you bring to this podcast. Here, I just, um, you know, your work is is just outstanding. And it's been um, held by so many people. And there's this theme that I want to get into around, I see this theme around spirituality and social justice. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But before that, I have a question for you. That's the pop question. So the question is, there's is something that I kind of, so I named this Brown Rice Hour because I, one thing is I love brown rice and it was instrumental in changing my life. I um I became a what is it a macrobiotic back in the day and it was a big change for me, right? And it was kind of this pivotal moment. And now that I'm in Louisiana, um literally growing rice, it's um one of those things that and I'm a foodie. Okay. So um yeah,
0: so what, yeah, yeah
1: what I want to ask you is what was the comfort food that you had as a child and who prepared it and you're
0: on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, oh man, food was such a big thing in my house. Um, my grandmother is from Raleigh, North Carolina, right, actually right outside of Raleigh, up in the hills, uh, above the city. And um, food was such a thing. And I think um, my mother prepared like everything. And, and um, you know, for, uh, uh, I usually refer to her as a Black Betty Crocker, because she could, she could whip up anything in terms of food and and especially desserts. But the thing, and I think I'm, I'm passing this on to my youngest daughter is, um, is grits and eggs was just such a, like, uh, uh, you know, butter cheesy grits with a fried egg, um, was, uh, and if we were lucky, a biscuit. So, Right. Like that was the thing that is such a thing for for me growing up. And then I went to New Orleans and I saw shrimp and grits. Mm. And and so now, yeah, so now me and my youngest daughter, that's our Sunday morning ritual. We get up on Sunday morning and make some shrimp and grits with some spinach and some shrimp and, and do the thing. But so growing up for me, it was just that simple thing of like some hot grits, buttery, some garlic powder in there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, black pepper, and uh, it was Sunday morning. So yeah, that's uh, that was, the, and my mother made that.
1: That was it, and your mom made it. That's really great. Yeah. That's great. It's funny because you're only the second person I've interviewed on this on this podcast so far, and the other one was Fanya Davis. And when I
0: asked her the question, she said grits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So we just gonna keep it real, stereotypical black people.
1: I know, right? But it was her dad who made it. It was interesting. It was her dad had to, He he was the cook in the morning when they were getting ready for practice, for school. <laughs> so yeah, I can. Yeah. Tell and I asked her. I wanted to make sure it wasn't it wasn't sweet grits because people who add the sugar to grits. No, no, no. Right? Exactly.
0: Cheese and grits. I try to keep an open mind. You know what I mean? I try not to have a binary. I try to make space for all views and opinions. But Sweet Grits, I... Why? Right? It's like When
1: I even heard about Sweet Grits, I was like, "Mm, no. No. Yeah, but I, I,
0: I... I don't know. Yeah, um, no,
1: I, I think you have an open mind. I'm, I'm, I, I, don't quite have the open mind that you have. I'm like,
0: I'm very I mean, I want to. I want to. I want to. But I'm. I still have to give it the the side eye every time somebody grabs the sugar and goes. Like, this is not oatmeal. You realize this is not oatmeal. Right.
1: This is not oatmeal. This is grits no that's right yeah that's right oh i'm so glad you oh. okay so we we <laughs> even closer than than we were before this podcast <laughs> <laughs> same with fanya she was like oh no 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 sweet
0: <laughs> we we can do a we can do i might do some research on the internet and ask my friends like and see where their people came from who threw, who threw sugar in it maybe there's like
1: a oh. i don't know but i don't know Maybe it's geography. I think that would be really interesting to put on on Facebook, like, grits sweet or not sweet, sweet sugar or butter,
0: sweeter, savory,
1: sweeter. And where are you from? And where are you from? Okay, we're gonna do that. And where are your
0: people from? Where your grandmama from? Where your granddaddy from? I need to know. <laughs> We're gonna get the map. We're gonna get the map. Cause I want to understand, maybe there was some people, you know, I don't, maybe it's a Caribbean thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't mean to insult the Caribbean if you're not, if you're not with that uh, sweet grits. But maybe it's something we just, you know, I just missed it.
1: I love it. I love it. I love hope of that everybody's grits. Well, I I am not at all surprised my brother because of who you are and, and the fortitude that you have. I think that the grits have something to do with that. Um I do indeed, and so I just want to go back to uh what I said, um moving into this question of spirituality and social justice, so um mm-hmm. you know the one life Institute, which I love um and um the work that you have done but before you know actually, before we go there, I want to know where it all started, like mm-hmm. where did your um, where did your passion around social justice begin? Like, was there an incident in your life that got you there? Was it your family? What? I'm really curious of that because it's more than a choice. Is you driven? This is this is something that just feels yeah. like way deeper than a choice. Like you didn't have no choice.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't have a no choice. No, no, no. So, I mean, <clears throat> there's so many things. So. So part of it, you know, I, I'm from Oakland, and I'm third, third, second generation. My mother was born and raised here. I was born and raised here. Um, my mother grew up with the young folks who were in the Panthers, and those were like she just was like those are not headed boys who are trying to pop the girls, made out of jackets trying to be cute. But that that sort of like, but the osmosis of like that moment of Black politics and growing up in and around that, um, as well as the music and the culture and funk and um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that it was just in the, yeah. so some of it was in the water. And so, and then some of it was also, you know, I, I came uh, awake, like re- realizing things was going on when uh, Ronald Reagan, Mm. became president that's when i like really was like starting to not just look at my like the four walls of my home and the four walls of my school and then my you know my 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 extended family and crew but i started seeing like there are larger things happening at play right and um, i grew up in east oakland and in 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 fourth grade third grade they discovered i had dyslexia and my mother heard that the schools in the in the in the hills in Oakland that are in the more affluent white neighborhoods mm-hmm. had they had better special education programs, um, which wasn't true. It was the same black and brown boys in special ed up there <laughs> um, <laughs> as it was in the filing. But nonetheless, that's what she heard, and so that put me though in in a school that wasn't just other black and brown kids, but had like a percentage in elementary school, a high percentage of upper middle class, uh mm-hmm. white folks, but then also upper middle class black and brown folks and, and Asian folks. Mm-hmm. And I got to be friends with some of those people and, and got to see that there were like you know, I went to this one girl's house in seventh grade and her her family had an elevator that 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 uh they lived in Oakland Hills. In their house, they had an elevator that, you know, it's one of them houses, you've been to the Oakland Hills, you, you drive up to the top and you get it, you're, you walk in through the front door, they're in the garage or on the top floor and you have to take an elevator down to like where the kitchen and the bathroom and stuff are and then an elevator down to, or you can take the stairs but they have an elevator. And I was just like, whoa, right? And I got to know people, I started seeing like oh, there's actually some of the same stuff happening up here that folks are using drugs and folks are dealing drugs and folks are having de- domestic disputes and there's uh, folks who are having conflict in their family, but there weren't the police coming. They mm-hmm. weren't losing their housing. They weren't... Um, same issue. And I, what I saw was...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Same, 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 very similar issues, very similar. But like my friend's older sister who was having drug problems, she didn't get arrested. She got sent to her, you know, her family house in Vermont or whatever, you know, um, or she got to go to residential treatment, or and other folks who, you know, they got picked up and taken home as opposed to taken to jail, right, um, for doing very similar things. And so it was that experience, and I, you know, once I was in there was this district in Oakland called Montclair which is actually called Montclair Village. And it's a very little set apart, little, very um, affluent neighborhood um, in Oakland. And I was there on a weekend with some of my other friends, um, me being the darkest of them. And we were all goofing around and they crossed the street and I was talking to somebody and I crossed the street late and I sort of jaywalked. This black cop pulls me up and he's like, Mm mm-mm, We not have. Bet not. Bet not. Bet not see you out here like this no more. And the the, the contradiction that was wild about it was he singled me out, but he thought he was doing me a favor. Right. Teaching you right this up in here. Mm -hmm. You got to know where your place is. Right. 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 And I'm gonna show you where your place is. I don't because.
1: It's the equivalent of don't yeah. you a know, water fountain unless colored is written on it
0: mm-hmm. you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. and, and so for me at a young age i got to see that that there were systems and structures that like that were not set up to talk about what i knew was true and so i would go home and talk about like oh we read this we did the pledge of allegiance and my, my parents would talk to me about the pledge of allegiance and like you know my dad was in the army and he was like, yo, the way I got treated in the army, nah, we're not all. We're not, we're not one nation. They treated me very differently, even though I'm fighting for our country. And then I had uncles who were talking to me about, and aunties who I got to just see, like, and they would share with me just the little pieces of just, just asking the questions. Mm. Um, and so that was my first entree into, like things aren't the same. People get treated differently based on the color of their skin or based on the amount of money in their bank. Um, and, and I grew up during the height of the drug war and so it wasn't just that there weren't police up when I went to Montclair so, you know, there weren't police on every single corner it, but, that, but there were in my neighborhood, in every single corner even though the same amount of crime was happening in those neighborhoods there was no police that disrupted it or there no police to solve those problems what solved those problems were the community working together and services and treatment in my neighborhood, there was no opportunity for that. It was just, you're out of line, let's go. We got you. You might be on a line. You're standing on the corner. We're sweeping you up, right? At a high rate. And so that gave me a sense, this ain't right, which got me curious.
1: Right, right, right. And and how old were you at that point in time? Ish? 13,
0: 12, 13 years old. A young boy. Interesting. Yeah. And so that's where you started seeing the discrepancies based on yeah and wanting to speak out um and wanting to just pose the questions talk about it understand it um yeah yeah yeah
1: and so it stayed stayed with you those questions the questions of and your need to speak out just stayed with you you that was the only way to satisfy it was to do the work
0: that you're doing well i mean i think that the, the need to speak out was the like i think initially my thing was like Oh, people don't notice, or they don't know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And if I say something about it, then they will like. It's like if you step on my foot, and you didn't step on my foot, and you didn't know you step on my foot. Well, okay. Well, I'm. Oh, oh, you stepping on my foot? I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you know. Hey, that's my foot, right? Right. But what I found out is when I would say something about it, like just pointing it out, like oh, you stepping on my foot, people would be like, sit down and shut up. And I'm like, but wait, though, <laughs> you're stepping on my foot. And they're like, yes, I am. And sit down and shut up. Like, move on, right? And then I started feeling like, well, wait, why would you want to be just stepping on my foot every time you walk past me? Like, <laughs> what is this about? Like, why are you, right? And so then it wasn't even, it didn't start as like this thing where I couldn't, I didn't, I, you know, it was just like, oh, I just simply thought, like, if I pointed out, yeah. there's a discrepancy here, right? Like, so in class, when I was in high school, in science class, we had a test and we, we were doing biology. We had a test on the anatomy of frogs. A week later, we got the test back. Teacher said, we don't have enough frogs for everybody. So people who do not do well on the test won't get a frog to dissect. Only people who did well will get dissected frogs. I, limited resources, we're gonna figure out how we're gonna disperse them. Well, what I noticed was, it was the black and Latin kids who did not, well on the, who did not do well on the test it was the white and Asian kids who did do well on the written test. When I also thought, I, I don't know, 18, 17, I don't know why, but I just thought intuitively that, well, maybe if we didn't do well on the written part, we could learn better with our hands. Mm-hmm. And so that if you gave us a frog mm-hmm. that we got to dissect it, that we would then learn we didn't learn on the paper and from reading it, Right. And, and then the people who did well on the written part, they right. don't need to dissect the frog because they understand it. Right, they don't need the frog. Right. And if, if you don't let any of us who didn't do well on the test, then there will not be one Black or Latin kid who gets to dissect the frog. And I'm just gonna raise this for you. I'm just gonna raise this as like, this might be discriminatory and it might not be the best pedagogy. I've raised that up in high school. The okay. teacher calmly walked over to the phone and said, security, I have a, dis- a student disrupting my classroom. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Right. Wow. Because he was confronted, this teacher, with his racist practice. And as opposed to being able to engage in it. Right. He was just like, you got to leave.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was, that was like an Amy Cooper call.
0: Right, <laughs> right. But I didn't know, there wasn't no video cameras then. I couldn't just put him on video and be like, y'all, this is what I'm dealing with. Say it again, you know what I mean? So I've. So then I realized after like years and years of being in the movement and having incredible mentors, that's the other thing about being in the Bay Area is you get to meet people like you. Oh. You get to meet people like Fanya. You get to meet people like Angela Davis. You get to meet, you know, uh, Phil Hutchings. You get to meet... Uh, Uh, all these amazing amazing people right who've been in a struggle and can give you game and so I got to learn from people um and read amazing things and talk to folks who are in the struggle about like what they've been doing how they did it yeah Um, not just inspiration but I got to get information about the strategies and the organizational structures and Mm. Um, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area where there was a free breakfast program that the Panthers ran way before the United States government ever thought about free breakfast. So right. I got to sit with people who engineered that and ask them questions about where did you get the food? <laughs> <laughs> I've, always <wondered laughs> like, you know,
1: I've always wondered that. Yeah, where, where did
0: the food Well, go? so they went. To, here's what I heard from people. They went to store owners in the neighborhood and they said, you make money from our people you're going to give back to our people. You're back. We need this amount of food every week at these locations. If we don't have that, we will be back here to have this conversation again outside with a picket line. Mm-hmm. And then store owners were like, yo, these brothers with black leather jackets and these sisters with these shotguns, we just gonna give them this book because they, they write, black people come in here and buy all our stuff. So we should feed black children. And they said black children. Wow, interesting. I always wondered where that food
1: came from. That's wonderful to hear that. You know, um, and I was going to ask you also, I have a question to ask you was, who was one of your, who were your mentors? And so you kind of, are there anyone Uh out of the group specific? I mean, anyone rises to the top more than others who are your mentors and, you know, getting you the knowledge and
0: where you are? Yeah, you know, so, I would be like totally remiss if I didn't uh mention Van Jones, Rachel Jackson, Steve Williams, uh uh Cindy Wisner. Um there was a there was a cohort of folks who were ahead of me in the Bay Area. Uh Kay Baconte now who is at um runs Red, Red Bay Coffee and is like an amazing and has been an amazing entrepreneur, but it's like, you know what I mean, um yeah. uh remaking the coffee game. Uh, all these folks, just like as a young activist, um, both sometimes in like real intimate ways and then other times just watching them do what they do. Yeah. Right. Like. And being able to sit in the room with them um, and and watch them get down. And then later in life, uh, Cherie Tang, who's one of my mentors, and I still call Cherie when I run into stuff. But I'm like, I don't know what to do. And this, I call Cherie and she just drop jewels on me. Right.
1: Nice.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the founder of, of, of One Life Institute, Liza has been like giving me, give, taught me how to bring it together with, you know, because growing up black in the Bay, there was this sort of like funk and hip hop hustler culture and this Black Panther radical, mm-hmm. um, black. Organizing, multiracial organizing, and this deep spiritual tradition, right? That I didn't fully understand until I hooked up with Liza and and Reverend Liza, and she was able to like show me, like, oh no, Howard Thurman been circling the building. (laughs) You just didn't know who he was, you know? Um, And she put me onto Howard Thurman, and I was like, oh, this, I've been, I've been feeling this energy the whole time. Howard Thurman, that's right. Yeah.
1: That's right, so this gets us to the conversation about spirituality and social justice. And so, well, first, were you raised religious or was that at all in your home?
0: Um, So my parents were spiritual but not religious um, when I was born, right? So they would every summer at the start of summer, they would send me off to vacation Bible school. One of my aunties or some of my cousins, so they church, you know, mm-hmm. So I did that like twice, three times, but they themselves didn't really go to church as like a thing. Like they, they didn't, uh, my mother later in life went, 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 started going to church, but, but there was this spiritual thing in our family that wasn't actually religious. Okay. And I came to spirituality actually through hip hop organizing. It was through the universal Zulu Nation and the work of Africa and Bambada that, um, that had a serious spiritual connection there. In the very chapter of Zulu Nation, we had people who were practicing African spiritual traditions, um, uh, Ifa in, and Yorba, Chateria. Uh, we had folks who were uh, practicing Muslims. We had folks who were doing Christian liberation theology and folks who were, you know, sort of doing uh, uh, pagan and indigenous spirituality. Uh all coming together around hip-hop and bringing together that positive energy. And we would begin and end every one of our sessions with a prayer. So that's where I really learned to pray in a group was with Zulu Nation in the Bay. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is And weird. And I went on this own journey for myself just trying to understand when I was younger, asking people like, is there a God? What is God? How does God work? And Christianity, because I was like so steeped in African and black revolutionary traditions and understanding the sort of the role of the church and Christianity Mm -hmm. as disrupting black freedom struggle at a global level, right? Like, (laughs) enslaving us, fighting with the slavers, right? All this stuff, right? That I was like, "Eh, I can't really, I I don't know, I can't see you, right? Um, And then there was also so many people using it at the time I was growing up that the church was not aligned with the movement broadly right it was aligned with the state in, in all of this sort of like quote-unquote anti-drugs and crime reduction violence prevention yeah bs yeah where they were likely to call the cops on us than whether i'd come out and talk with us right and you were
1: also born after and that, so right i mean this is all post king oh yeah so that's yeah yeah
0: because this the is
1: was a big part of the movement then yeah okay yeah, post
0: Yeah, and even in my research, there was like, you know, twenty percent of the Black Church. <laughs> and if you, you know, I've got to rap with some of the OGS who were in, you know, like Phil Hutchins was the last General Secretary of Student Nonviolent Coordinating community 짜. and I got to talk with some of those folks about the work and some of the folks who went on the Freedom ride. and they were like, "Yeah, all these people out here telling you they march with Dr. King, half of these folks is lying." Because if if everybody would have marched, that we would have had like 12, 15 million people in the street. So don't give me that, right? So there was like a portion, and and for good and bad reasons, but there was a portion of the black church that was really aligned. And there were a lot of folks because their building was owned by a white person that they worked for down at the board plant and didn't want to lose their job. Those churches were not aligned. They were silent on those questions organizationally. Right. And so by the time we came along... You know, the right in this country and white supremacy had divided mm-hmm. um, Black youth in particular who were seen as troublemakers or at risk or dangerous from the church in the main, especially working class folks on the streets. Yeah. Right? Like, I remember when I first started at Elevator Center, door knocking in North Oakland at a church talking about a police incident of police brutality that happened. So this young man sat standing on the corner the other day and got beat up and wanted to talk to you about it. And the first thing the pastor said to me was, what was he doing on the corner? <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> and I was like, wait, 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 wait! I told you the the the, the cops whipped this boy, and I want to talk. And you say, why was he,
1: why was he standing there?
0: Wh- mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. And then, like six months later, the police whipped on one of the people who went to the church who was standing outside on the corner after church. Him and some of his friends, and they whipped on this boy. So the pastor called me. And you know, and I was like, didn't say what I wanted to say, which was, "What were you doing on the corner?" Right. I just said, "Okay, let's get." I'm glad. I'm glad you called, Pastor. Right. Right. I'm glad
1: you called. Okay. Okay. So, so that, so that, that's a little mixed bag. And then, but when you, <laughs> <laughs> when when you took it upon yourself to align yourself with um, Christianity, and I would say, yes and um Uh, well
0: okay go see about it yeah go see i wouldn't go see about it
1: (laughs) (laughs) got it okay well why don't you just describe what
0: happened yeah so um i and i I came to talk to you about this in one of the conversations we had and you were one of the people but i understood and this is one of the beautiful things about growing up here with some of my OGs, we would go like I um, was a part of an organization called Todos, which means all of us in Spanish, that did youth organizing around anti-racist, anti-sexist, uh, anti-homophobic, unlearning those practices, working with young people, and they taught us some of the freedom songs at those camps mm. that folks were singing because they cause they got handed down those. Mm. So we'll hold My mind on freedom. Um, going to lay down my sword and shield, yeah. well, all these freedom songs. And I and I realized I knew these songs and that as I, and from Zulu, you know, Zulu Nation, these streams these started to merge where um, my sense of, that I understood that there was this divine realm and I understood that this was, there was this worldly political realm. Mm-hmm. And that I was acting as if those two things were not connected. Uh-huh. Right. And I, and I didn't know how to connect those things because I, what I had was. Right. Um, because I didn't grow up in a black church and in a, in a deeply liberatory or, or transformational theology that the pop theology around me was so like, Prosperity gospels, if you believe that you can achieve it. And I'm like, well, my people have been believing this shit for a long half time, but we still dying and ain't got no money. Right. So that didn't, I couldn't get in. But so I was questioning this path. And then I, I went and talked to you and other folks about like, uh, uh Angel Kyoto Williams, I went and sat with, like, yo, how are you doing this? How you, I know you better. Angel is like, you are amazing. How is you dealing with this spiritual stuff? That's like, you know, you're a Zen. Buddhist priest, how are you dealing with this? Help me understand, right? And it was like you, it was uh, Angel, uh, Reverend Liza, Reverend Dorothy Blake, Dr. Reverend Blake, put me on to like, okay, there is a path here that's obscured and that you can understand some of this path. It's like, you know, you don't have to talk about slave master religion. You can talk about the resistance religion of the enslaved, And so that hop over to Thurman got me to PSR, Pacific School of Religion, or they had a fellowship to study spirituality and social justice, and it was a it was it's a multi denominational progressive Christian seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to try to go see and try to understand, okay, what have the tradition of Black folks found my people I come from? What did they find mm-hmm. in this? And that's what led me down that path where I got to see like, okay, that when folks were in the fields during enslavement, the whole story was about Moses. This was not about Jesus. It was Christianity, but it was a different form of Christianity. It was a form of Christianity that was about liberation and, that, and enslavement and kept, you know, being captive in that, in, in that exodus journey. That's what we were about, and all the songs and all the traditions and even the, 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 the way people worship. And that there's been something that's happened over the last 50 to 100 years that's moved us more towards this sort of a more Christology, Christian-focused, yeah. and I say we Black people— that is less about the here and now, less about how do we transform, how do we treat each other. But it was Howard Thurman who gave me access to that tradition uh, directly. And, and for people who don't know Thurman, among your listeners, mm-hmm. um, he was the man who went to India and met Gandhi and brought back nonviolence direct action to the civil rights movement here. He was a mentor of, of, of Doctor uh, the Reverend Dr. King. Um, and so when King says, I can't ever be who I ought to be until you get to be who you ought to be, that's directly from Thurman, right? And he led the first integrated church in the United States, which was over in San Francisco and still uh, is there uh, uh, virtually every Sunday, um, led by Reverend uh, Dr. Dorsey Blake. It's called the Fellowship for the Church of All Peoples, and it was the first integrated church, Um mm-hmm. And, and Sermon helped me understand how uh, his book, Jesus of a Disinherited, which is like understanding Jesus as a subjugate, not as the king on a throne, which is somehow how people talk about it, but as a subjugated person um, in an occupied Roman territory, uh, an indigenous uh, working class person talking to other indigenous working class people mm-hmm. about how they're gonna get free through and how they and what their values and morals are mm-hmm. in that context. Which just unlocked a whole, blew my mind.
1: Yeah, that's a whole nother orientation. That's a whole other orientation around Jesus. That's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, yeah, you can see that. That made sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and so that opened it up for me to like, un, in, in uh, as 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 a, as, a, as the Reverend Thurman would say, uh, embrace aspects of. The tradition that's named after Jesus, without becoming a Christian, because you know it's complicated. But my basic summation is: after doing a deep reading of of Jesus and and even what's in the Bible, is he was not trying to create any religion. I ain't trying to offend nobody. We don't have to get into the theology, but he was talking to Jewish people about how they could be Jewish. (laughs) right.
1: Right? Exactly. I mean, that's what they say about the, right. say the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist.
0: <laughs> right. And so, which is not to say that I can't, can't learn from his, mm-hmm. his teachings, that I can't learn from those folks what they've done, um, but it's to say that then I have to figure out my own path and my own, uh, in, in community. And that's, that's the thing that I got to, the blessing for me at PSR was understanding um, the three things about faith communities. That, that, that I think our movements need and we're beginning to, to form, which are that we have a clear moral center that is not wavering. We have a clear moral ethical framework. And for us right now, this notion of Black Lives Matter this, and, and all the things that comes with that. Like for black lives to fully matter in our global context, right? In the United States and beyond, there's a ton of implications of that that. We really hold that as true. If we take that as we say the good word gospel, black lives matter, that opens up all kinds of different discussions about yeah. what that looks like in full autonomy for every black person. That means like black, queer, trans, gender non-conforming, Everybody. people differently abled. No, 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 we don't need to say, well, then you, you're not like the rest of us, so just a little over there. No, 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 all those, right? And then black people, it turns out, come in every hue. So then like, you gotta get real, thoughtful about what you mean and mm-hmm. our families contain as you so right. i can't be like oh kanda i care about you but oh you married to an indigenous oh you married to a uh, or you love a or you a shot well, mm, mm, right It just it's it for so it's real deep God. that's right Excludes. no 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 it, 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 it's 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 invitational right. and and deeply radically invitational at the center Radical. and then there is an individual that right Sorry. Yes, radical is <laughs> that makes that makes me a little uncomfortable as uh, so I start to like learn it and figure it out and figure out like, ooh, I don't know how to talk about this thing. I don't know, ooh, I just assumed your pronouns. I'm like, ooh, or or you told me your pronouns, and then I messed it up because of my old thinking. Now I got to sit with that for a minute, right? Um, yeah, so that radical inclusion, and then there is uh, the other thing that faith communities have is. They have individual practice to bring us back to that ethical grounding. And so that may be meditation or prayer. Practice,
1: practice, practice. How
0: important it is. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and they have that. But then the other thing they have is communal practice, right? Mm -hmm. That just you meditating or just you doing yoga or just you praying, that ain't going to get it. That ain't going to get it. We're going to have to do it together, right? right? So all three of those things. That's right collectively we can co-create yeah a new a new world and so that was the thing i came out of with in uh, uh my studies at psr my studies of, of christian and other faiths and and, that, and that's the thing we have to have and that's the thing that often makes me weary of the like um unorganized unaffiliated just learn how to do this thing let's come and just be mindful and i'm like I, you can be mindful about destroying the world Yes you can. you can be very present
1: can. to mm-hmm. that's right you can be very mindful in that lab in that and and taking away human life or so you can be very very mindful and that's not it either exactly exactly mm-hmm. so you need
0: the ethical grounding
1: where's the ethic, where are the ethics around it right where it has to be based in this ethical frame that you talked about from the very beginning and that is something that Yeah, I I feel is, um, you know, is at the core of where I'm hoping that every movement that we are, that we're doing, that we are a part of right now, Mm -hmm. what is the ethical framework that it is sitting in, right? I'm curious what you think about, um, you know, so here we are, I don't know, what, three weeks after the death of George Floyd um, Mm -hmm. and the whole world. Has responded in so many ways, and it is—it's really quite something. What I think we're seeing right now, the streets, the young yes, people, it is. The streets of America, and all over the world. I'm—I'm um, I'm curious what you think about this movement right now, and—and and what is it that um, is it any part excites you? Is any part of it make you want to say, okay, and?
0: It profoundly. It, I, I found it profoundly exciting. I mean, are you hopeful? That um, I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, Socket Sony, who is um, he, he. runs an amazing uh, this organization called Resilience Force, and he comes out. of He lived in uh, New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina, and he he uh, has been now to like almost every major disaster area in certainly the United States and quite possibly north, 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 uh, northern hemisphere. Um, and we were talking about, this is when COVID first happened. We were talking about, um, I was asking him to talk talk about um, this to some other groups, we were, to folks you're working with, to talk about, and, and, I, and I said, I don't want to call it an opportunity because that feels so crass. But I know that you've been in this space before Socket. Can you, can you talk about it? And he said, yeah, no, we can't talk about it as an opportunity. This is just devastation that's happening to people. Say that one more time. When, when COVID first, when, COVID, when, when the COVID uh, uh, virus and the, and the pandemic first started to take root, we were talking to some other folks we were organizing with, and I wanted Socket to talk with us. About what his experience had been going to disaster is, which are not, which is not, not, not exactly corollary, but the only thing I could grasp for that was like, what is it like to be when everything falls apart? Right. What happens? And what you know, what what? There's something when everything when there's a thing to say when there's a breakdown, there's the opportunity for a breakthrough. That's right. right? That's, that's, that's what Vane used to say all the time. And so that there, um, I was inviting Stocker to talk to us about that and how do we orient ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're right. We can't talk about it as an opportunity that's crass. People are dying. I think there's there's real devastation and harm being caused. That's right. There is an opening as this old thing falls away, as it falls apart, which is painful and so devastating. Something else, there's, it creates a space for something new to emerge. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so, what I'm, what I feel like we're witnessing, and there's been so, and I, I've, I've been, uh, 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 you know, I'm 47 years old now, and I've been doing social justice work since I was 17. Mm. Um, and I did police accountability work for 10 years at the Ella Baker Center with Bay Area Police Watch, where I went uh, and met families. Who the night before their loved one's life had been snatched by somebody in a blue uniform, mm. right? Like and then I did youth organizing, yeah, around fam- around families of incarcerated youth, and same thing when young people would die inside a facility, go and sit with a family,
1: mm. right?
0: And so I know that pain intimately, right? And so I'm all I got often when these when these episodes happen, when somebody is tragically, savagely. Killed by the law enforcement in the United States. I often don't watch the video. I, I, I'm, I'm a black man myself. I can't. I can't. I don't. You know what I mean. I, psychically, I don't need the vicarious trauma. I try to distance myself. In this like tremendous devastation of this man's life being taken, mm-hmm. there isn't. Uh, death creates a portal. Yeah, and it creates a portal for either further death and destruction, mm-hmm. or. Resurrection, renewal, and rebirth. Yeah, that's, out. that's, that's, yes. Yeah. And what young people have to, and, and so what, what I'm saddened, I'm saddened for this young man's I'm saddened for this man's daughter. I'm saddened for this man's community. I'm saddened for this man's uh, other loved ones, right? His nieces and nephews. I'm saddened for that loss. Tremendous. And he never can be your place. And that hurts me. And what I'm heartened by is that this is not a new story. But young people are responding to it in increasingly new ways. That they're saying that, that that devastation, that heartlessness, that uh, hatred will not be the last word, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's trivial in some ways, but I've watched a video of this young woman who is a sex worker stop a line of police vehicles twerking in the street. Wow. They're rolling up on the protest and she just stalks over there in her six-inch heels and puts on a show that stopped the whole line of police vehicles. Get out of here. I haven't seen that. Oh, on the internet you look for sex workers yeah, she, or a stripper, whatever they call it. I'm saying like <laughs> Wow. 20 years ago, she wouldn't have been able to she, 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 she would have had to stand in the back of the march and couldn't be at the march
1: that's right that's right right
0: not have been accepted at that march that's right you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. but but now she is the front line of defense saying yeah. you ain't coming from my people and using culture that's throwaway that we don't want to talk about to do it
1: and you know when i right? think about, i love it what you're talking about and what i'm seeing too with the black uh, movement for black lives being so led by by women by black women by young black women who are a whole other kind of sensibility, acceptance. Um, It's really a radical difference from the young Black and a lot of queer women versus the Black men who led other movements that we've had. And and of course, times have changed in, in many, many ways. But it is so wonderful to see these Black women lead and how they lead. And, and yeah. it is yeah. like wrapping their hands, their arms around the entire Black nation, all the hues, all the genders, all the everything, how we come and how we show up. And I'm really- Yeah,
0: happy. yeah. Yeah. It is, it is, it is it, that's the thing that gives me hope is that there are these yeah. young people who are going to be free, yeah. even in the face of free. a police tank okay. and a line of riot cops. They're going to um, not um, not hide their light under a bushel, not pretend to be something, right, not have to like fall into a box that is this acceptable of what it means to be black. Yeah. right. But they're going to say no, I'm, um they have an imagination and a view of what it is to be a black person, yeah. that is not a singularity or a, or a binary. Or a one size fits all. It is like accepting and pushing forward, and that is for me profoundly inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, inspiring. And so, yeah, that's 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 the thing that gives me like goosebumps and chills. Is the is watching these folks be able to do, um, and and just be getting started. To just be getting started, right? Um, people forget that it was the fifty late fifties through the mid sixties. Of what people call the 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 civil rights movement and the black freedom struggle, but it stretched back. If you look at Miss Ella Jo Baker and others, right. it stretched back to the forties. That's right. Right. And so, like, if you imagine, you know, uh, you ask who 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 I've looked up to, and who I've learned stuff from. Man, my sister Alicia Garza, when she was at um, uh, uh, Pueblo organizing in Oakland. Right? Doing tenant organizing then. And my sister Latifa Simon, when she was in San Francisco organizing young women in the criminal justice system, like, I, you know, we was giving each other game. You know, I we claim each other. Like, I like, <laughs> these people I learned like watching somebody doing like, you said what did what? Damn, right? can I try that? Let me see. It. Let me see how that sounds correct. You know? I love it. So yeah, these folks are just like yeah. um giving life, giving life.
1: You know, Jay, I can't help but think too, when I think about this double pandemic, right? The the COVID 19 mm-hmm. having, you know, this the, the quote unquote lockdown and shelter in place and 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 all and then seeing our people dying in disproportionate numbers way out of line with yeah. the numbers of people that are in every city and, and the deaths that 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 taking place and feeling all of that, right? And and also the thing about this COVID-19 time has been, you know, people, so funny, I was talking to my neighbor across the street, I mean, next door, that um, this time has allowed people to just slow down a little bit and stop a little bit. Like, usually we're just running, 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 running. With that calm down, we're actually in our feelings more. And I'm finding that people are, right, more sensitive. They're in their feelings. They're actually... Yes looking at the fact that, you know, the sun is setting or, or whatever it might be, um, looking at life from a place, from an inward space. And so I think this COVID-19 has kind of, it was like the tenderizer that you put on the meat that softened everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. And then this
1: happened with Mr. Floyd's murder and all the other murders around that. And I believe that the response that we're seeing is, is not coincidental that it has happened right now with this COVID time happening. Because I wonder, I honestly wonder, Jay, if if this would have happened, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd, during a time when we were just doing our thing, would it have just been another Black man dead in the street, killed yeah. by? A- yeah, yeah. And, and the young people who have been also, you know, they're busy doing their thing they have slowed down and stopped as well. And so it feels to me like this double pandemic. It was, a, it was great, it was, it was perfect. It was like a perfect alignment of two pandemics coming together, the pandemic from the COVID and race, race, racism pandemic coming together that allowed this, this eruption, this incredible uprising to happen that um, I wonder honestly if it would have happened otherwise. And it has made it so yeah. be felt. And then not just those who are out there in the street, but everybody who is watching, who's not out in the street, who's looking at it and going, "Damn!" Just grieving.
0: Yeah, people are. Yeah. Grieving. Well, so I, I, I think there's a few things, and 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 I want to try to connect the dots. I think one is people are not on the treadmill, like you said, they're not on the, or I might call it the 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 rat mill for the rat race, right? Yes. That people have been forced to mm-hmm. some degree out of it. So even though the even those of us who are still who are fortunate to work at home, there's a little bit more spaciousness. That's right. Even for those who like 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 some of my some of my siblings who, you know, uh work they still got out there on the front line, there's still more spaciousness. Right. Right. In our lives. And the folks who are who got those uh of unemployment checks and that sort of like that, that uh, fake universal basic income yeah. for the last few, few weeks yeah. where they didn't have to be on the grind. We actually saw that folks had more bandwidth to pay attention. I'm not just thinking about my daily needs. That's right. Where my next meal going to come from? Where to check? Do I, you know, how, do I, can you take some extra shifts this weekend so I can pay for it? Da, 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 da. And I know I got this thing, but they just had a little bit of more spaciousness to be much. able to say, well, wait a minute. That's right. Yeah? That's right. A wait bit. a minute. What the hell going on? Right? To be able to pay attention to it. I think the other thing that happened with COVID that, that, that I think you're absolutely right is here we are fighting for our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Literally. Literally. Everybody around us. Everybody is. We're in, fighting for our lives. We're a little more than others, yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, Right? And they're gonna go pull this man out of car. Kneel on his neck. And kill him. For nine minutes. Nine minutes. Right? Like Yeah. Yeah. That that it was like, wait a wait a minute.
1: I just said it. We are right now just the, the general the general feeling and, and energy is saving each other's lives, saving each other's lives, honoring all the, all, the, all the medical workers, honoring everybody who's doing all the things, the essential workers, honoring finally yeah, yeah, right yeah. people who are on the lines. And we are looking at honoring those who are saving lives. We're in a moment on the planet, really looking at saving our lives. And then this happens.
0: Right. Because they're, they're not thinking about none of that. And they're, not, they're just like, this year, and I'm going to say this year Negro is out of line. Yep. We're going to put him back in line. That's right. Just another right? One. That's right? And we're going to show him how we're going to show him. Yes. We're gonna, and that is what America saw. They saw that police police race. They do not police crime. Right. Right? Because the boy who went in there and shot up Mother Emanuel Church got a hamburger. Hello. This man who was accused of passing a false $20 got a death sentence. That's right. That's right. Right? So we're, we're policing race. Yeah. We're policing. Like, race. I can't imagine the context that you take a mass murderer for lunch. I don't, you know, I'm not saying starve the boy. That's not what I'm saying. But I can't imagine you just don't say, hey, you can wait until, did you have lunch before you went and married all these black people? Or should we stop and get you some? I don't understand the conversation around that.
1: Right. That's right. And that, and there lies a the difference. And we know it. We've been knowing it. We've been knowing Dang. it for a long time. And, um, you know, you can't get away now from all of the cell phones and videos and social media Uh, and all of that also converging at this time, you know, um, it's another moment. It's another moment in America. And I am, you know, watching as you are, as everybody is. And with the glimmer of hope um, that you know i mean who thought that defund the police from black lives matter would end up with you know it's like what <laughs> did i just hear that correctly
0: so so this is what i mean about this is what i mean about the radical imagination and this is why that 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 um something is shifting
1: my my friend who lives in minneapolis was telling me that Um, after the the, um, elected officials decided, you know, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, reorganize this. We don't know what it's going to look like, but you know what it's going to look like. She lives there, the woman that I work with every day. And she said that, um, so right after that, there was just, you know, this massive, you know, folks in the street, you know, thousands of people. And the city council folks got up and said, okay, gave them a prompt about, like, we don't know, but you know get into clusters it was like and they got into little groups right and gave them a prompt what do you think about and texted to us and gave them a, and she said the entire place was people coming together in little in little you know quads and groups and like if you're in some kind of a conference <laughs> right and really came together in groups and talked and and texted the to the number what they came up with they are literally taking it from the people. I am so yeah. hopeful with that. What yeah. an example that sets. What an example. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We know this is not working. This hasn't been working in a long time. And we're finally saying, done. And y'all know what to do. Let's
0: harvest it from the people. What, what gives me hope about that, what gives me hope about that is... The lie that capitalism and patriarchy and not even capitalism, but the, 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 the thing up under it that you can own parts of the world, that you can, and that the, the quest for ownership and profit, that those things supersede, that the, the, that the lie that that creates is that there has to be one way. And so when people say, like, well, there's 1,500 police departments, and so what if you going to do if you don't have the police? Well, then that means there's 1,500 opportunities to figure it out. That works for there. That you can actually make it, like, the environment doesn't work. Like, the ecos- the, the way that the, the desert uses water is not the same way that the rainforest or the ocean uses water. Right. So why does my community have to use the same policing tactics or the same economic system or the same just well that is to make it easy for the free flow of capital and accumulation and people who have wealth to transcend and go back and, but like I don't have if you if if if, if brown rice go good over there and mangoes grow good over here, why well, I gotta grow brown rice over here just you know what I'm saying? Right. Like why can't I grow my mangoes? Like what 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 you know what I'm saying? And so I think this thing and, and that is like that is real democracy mm-hmm. when people really have a choice about their lives. And that is like, again, black, queer, women, trans folks who are saying, I've never fitted in these boxes. And so I'm not trying to fit in none of these. I'm not trying to have us have no more boxes. We're going to have to come up with some new shapes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, a new shape. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We don't need some new shapes. And that is like, yeah. When I don't have to like figure out what that how to fit in that new box that I get to be like how am I? That's really free. And there's no one way to be free. No that's way. the other thing about it.
1: There's no one. There's life. no
0: one way to be free. That's
1: right.
0: And so then we could just not know together and go make it up together. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is like, that's actually life. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the the know uh, 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 no we're getting close to the time, but when I, on my magic journey to, the, to this place, I ended up um, working at a youth group that was um, based on uh, popular education work coming out of Brazil. Um, and I got introduced to uh, one of our mentors, OG, uh, Alicia Miranda, and Michael James, who uh, Michael James had met Paulo Freire when he was in, in in undergrad and like hosted Paulo Freire, I think at, at SF State and got to hang out with Paulo Freire and take him around. Wow. And so I got to learn from him about, about popular process and about like what they were trying to do in Brazil during that time. And what they talked about was, what Freire talked about was that what it means to be fully autonomous person is to be designing, the, co-designing the world you live in. Mm. to not just be inheriting somebody else's framework mm. that you have to shoehorn and stick right. yourself into, cut off an arm because it don't get in, it. right? Shave off your, but, you see? Right. But to say, no, we're going to co-design this world together. And yes. that's what it really means to be a full human being. Yes, right there. Right? right. There. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. So, So this is what gives me hope, is that these young people are doing that. Yep. And doing it from such a spiritual, connected, open, yep. Yep. not needing to have all the answers, but needing to just keep saying what's true, which is this ain't working. <laughs> it ain't working. And the multi
1: look of it as well is just really so hopeful, isn't it? Yeah. I am in this moment and I'm praying in this moment that, you know, folks be safe out there. You know, given all mm-hmm. the things from COVID to, you know, to the destruction of, of, that, of, of Black bodies that keep happening, Black and brown bodies. Yeah. And I am just so praying for all of it. And, but really hopeful that real transformation is on the horizon and is happening. Um, I can't help but, but feel that. And because this is an mm-hmm. extraordinary time. It's extraordinary. COVID alone was extraordinary.
0: Extraordinary.
1: On top of it, 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 it it's like this perfect storm. And may this storm yeah. just be the storm that then when the, you know, the rain and the storm and the clouds and everything go crazy and the lightning and, and all that. And, and, they, and then it breaks open to this
0: beautiful day. Hello. This beautiful day. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And we are in the storm. I'm, I'm hopeful for that. I'm hopeful for that. And I'm trying to stay present to all of it. Yeah. All the pain, all the loss. And, and for those, even in me and my friends who are, who are in, and, and even myself sometimes who are disquieted by it, right? That like, we know we need something different and we're still disquieted by the, 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 there is, um, my partner's a midwife. And um, midwives uh, start off working, birthing, birthing, helping birthing people bring their children into the world. And many of them later on life go into hospice care, which is a very interesting, very interesting. Uh, and the opposite, opposite sides of the door. Yeah. And, and, and what I am attuned to is that in that birthing, mm-hmm. the old does perish. Mm-hmm. Right? And and as much as, as a Black person, as a person who grew up working poor, especially working say working poor in this country, there's a lot of ways that I like stuff. Like to be able to go to the store and just get what I want when I, my check comes, right? And for the last few months, I've not been able to do that. That's been a, a quote unquote loss of some normalcy. And for people who grew up in a world where they understood how white privilege function or male privilege function or wealth privilege function, and so they knew it, They might not have always liked it, but knew it and knew how to accommodate themselves and knew how to perform in it. Now, being in this world we were remaking, where the old rules are not yet, I mean, the old rules don't work and the new rules ain't yet clear, that could be unsettling. And so I want to hold both the excitement and the like, yes, yes, and the come on with it of what's new and make some space for the folks who are, and even in myself, that feeling of the loss and the mourning of of hospicing the old. Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely it doesn't
1: it doesn't leave the old does not leave without the tears and without the the sadness
0: yeah
1: um yeah there's something that yeah i get that it's holding all of it right that that kind of having that kind of equanimity that can i can just hold it all you know
0: can, yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And I'm not always good at that. Because I flame on people on the internet too when they start talking stuff about my sisters who are leading BLM and how they're not making enough space for men and blah, 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 and all that not fragile male ego stuff that comes up. Right? Yeah. That, and I'm like <laughs> and I'm like, oh and, you know, but then I gotta realize like, oh, you don't know yet how to act. You were told you had this privilege. That's
1: right. You had male privilege and you don't know how to be right now. And and that's without awful. it. That also is is you know on the chopping block. Patriarchy is very much on the chopping block, along with racism, all of it is. And so it's like, you know, come on now, where's my place as a black man?
0: Hey, so this is what I love again about Black Lives Matter and the simplicity of it is it's like, no, 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 Black Lives Matter. And so that means that women and queer and trans lives have to matter. And so then you can't just be like, well, yeah, you no, know, black lives matter, but get behind me, woman. Oh, those days are so over, thank God. (laughs) And they're dying hard.
1: They don't even know nothing about that. They're like, oh, no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And brothers, and so, you know, Mm -hmm. so how do we raise Black men now? How do we raise Black men, Black young boys, to understand life differently, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, to, okay, to be able to deal with, with the fact that, you know, you may be under somebody's knee on the ground and and how where the respect is. For all of us and understanding. Black women, and yeah. where we've been and where we are now, and that this right. gender thing is very different, it cannot be replicated the gender thing cannot be replicated.
0: No, but there has to be a new paradigm and, and we don't know what that is. And people want there to be this paradigm where it's like, you know, uh, people talk about the black family and, and I'm like, okay, yeah, all black families, black families that have two mamas and two daddies right. and two people who don't, and one of them, or, and, and one mama and one person who don't identify as they, them, um, as a parent, that's a black family too. And they're going to be free too. Right? That's right. And, That's right. And we have to have those struggles. And I'm I am for it and I wanna make, you know, trying to figure out how do I hold the line and make space for my brother's degree as we struggle with like, oh that you know, all that stuff that I've been told, yeah. that ain't right. Are you ain't gonna work no more out here?
1: So then I have to ask you one last question, and that is your role as a mentor. Your role, everything Thank that you would say, Jay, your role as a mentor. Mentor i'm wondering what 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 what's up in terms of um, <laughs> young black men other other black men being able to translate because you honestly if anybody can hold court and hold church around it it's you
0: i mean and I do my best, but you know it's it's interesting I think there's some things I can say you know. Phil could talk to me because I knew who Phil was. So Phil pulled me aside and say, yo, let me tell you something about what you just said, right? Uh, Brother Greg Hodge, another person, could call me up. Brother Greg, call me up and say, Jay, I saw you in that meeting, heard what you said, bro. don't be out there like that. Because I know Greg. So some of these young people, you know, uh, I have relationships with, like, with them like that where I can say something to them sure. and they can hear me, right? But some of these folks, you know, they one of my OG homies who was a youth organizer said, "Young people don't care what you know until they know that you care." Until they know. Right. That you know. And so, yeah, so you know, I I have my people who I who I work with and I work through them and I, you know, my day job is I'm a coach, right? Uh working with organizations and senior leaders. Right. At the management center. And I do it through that. And then I have people who I speak to, but like, you know, our new ED at One Life Institute, Zan West, this is on fire and doing incredible work. And I'm supporting her. And, uh, you know, at Greenpeace, I'm, I'm, um, I'm putting my hands on folks. I'm talking to folks and I'm trying to interject here and there where I can. And, um, so that's the way I'm doing it and I'm, I'm, I'm so open and I still have my young ones who I rap with and I get out on the internet and we chop it up here and there and I tell them when I see, you know, certain things and I'm trying to lead by example, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, you and then folks who are my age and older, I knuckle up on them though, I ain't gonna even lie, I just, <laughs> on the internet be flaming on them. Like, bro you said what nah man you know what I mean like you nah and then I have to like try to okay wait yeah okay, literally, okay. Literally. <laughs> that's not helpful that's not let me let me let me think about how I can reformulate this and my partner be like man don't be arguing on the internet and I'm like <laughs> we at home Where how come I can't argue with them in person <laughs> <I'm talking about. laughs> you know what I mean? It's the only way I can talk to you is on the internet. We can all I can do is talk about thumbs right now, you
1: know? Right now. Well I'm gonna tell you something. You have been a role model for me since I first heard your name Aww. since we met. And I am just, you know, there's a reason why, you know, you were on the top of my list to, to start this this podcast. It was like, okay, who do I I need I need I need my peeps who who I admire and adore, who are who are heartfelt and, and just beautiful beings, smart and in the world in the way that I want to always be in the world. And that's you, okay? You, you, you represent all of that for me. And I'm so grateful with that. Thank um, you. That you're my friend, my comrade, and, um, and honestly, my mentor.
0: And so I mm-hmm. know that. I mm. mean, it's a great deal coming from Uganda. I appreciate you and all your work everything you've done i'm you know i'm a, am on team college from day one to the end yeah
1: yeah yeah well i'm 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 really grateful for that and for you and you know i usually like to end with a little bit of ceremony i don't know if you want to you got a little prayer to pray us out or
0: always always please join me yeah. in the spirit of prayer mm-hmm. God of my ancestors, spirit of many names, I come to you giving thanks and praises for Sister Conda and all of her works. I give thanks for everything set in motion, everything said today and unsaid, all the healing and justice unfolding around right now. Divine, when I ask that you be with each of us, everyone in hearing of my voice, in our trials and tribulations, I'll ask that you clear our paths, offer us your strength, your wisdom, connect with us, and allow us to see you unfolding all around us in the eyes and hands and words of those around us. Allow us to do just in our relationships and right in your world. For the young ones on their way, we ask that you light their path as you have lit ours. And we give thanks for those who came before us and paved the way. And we ask that you make clear all that we need to do, our little part that we can while it's ours. That you strengthen our backs, steel our arms, and open our hearts, our ears, and our eyes to see your beauty Mm. and justice being done. Mm. In your many holy names, we pray. Amen.
1: Ashe. Thank, so Ashe. Ashe, thank you, my brother. This has been a beautiful time. Thank you, Kanda. All right, you take good care of yourself. Always a pleasure. Always. You as well. Bye-bye. Good and this is the end of the Brown Rice Hour with Kanda Mason. Thank you for joining. Bye-bye.